Welcome to Deadly Discussions. I'm your host, Isaac Harrison, and today we have a really uh, interesting guest. We have ex, uh, ex-former Indigenous police officer, uh, Nick. Uh, he's a Bundage man from Southeast South Australia. And before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Taucher Technology, shameless plug um, for sponsoring this pod today. So, Nick, welcome to Deadly Discussions. Yeah, thanks, brother. Thanks for having me. Now, before we start, we always like to know a bit of background from uh, our guests, you know, where you're from, where's your mob from, where's your heritage, if it's non-Indigenous, how do they end up here in this great mm. South land called Australia, um, you know, where are you today, uh, yeah, take us along that storyline. Yeah, thanks, bros. Um and uh, thanks to Toucher um, for sponsoring the, the show. <laughs> um yeah, so brother, so um, Boondage Man, so southeast South Australia, down sort of Mount Gambia Road, sort of up to South End, sort of interesting and beautiful countryside. Um, you know, um, very strongly connected to that that country. Um, don't spend enough time down there, but um, part of my family does get down there from time to time, and, and, and you know, you can pull um, abalone off the rocks and things like that. It's pretty magic. Yeah, well, fair. what was the actual um, longitude and latitude of that again? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let the let the fish eyes know. But um, the um, so that's where we're from. So my um, grandmother is a mission lady. So she uh, was raised on a mission in Millicent, South Australia, from that area. Um, and um, her mother was raised on a mission um, in Port Pirie. So we've got that very strong um, mission history. Um, and um, my grandmother um, raised me on the Sunshine Coast, so your your country brother, um, Gubby so Gubby. Number one. Yeah, and it is number one, and I was lucky to, to walk on that on that country and um, it gave me so much um, joy to be part of that, that country because, you know, what it has to offer, of course, um, culturally and, and sort of to in, ground, in a grounding way. And as a surfer, it was obviously an amazing place to grow up. Yeah. But... Um, she, that's where she's uh, from, and um, and um, she back in the day on the Sunshine Coast, there probably wasn't a lot of cultural leadership. Gubby yep. Gubby are strong, um, but um, at the time they probably didn't have weren't given any profile. So um, Grand Nell Beast and rest in peace. She she did some work in some of the schools up there off country. Yeah. Um, and I know we've come a long way since then. So you sort of got to think Noosa back then was um, parolees and pensioners. There's a few yeah. few kids, not a lot. The schools weren't packed like they are today. Um, yep. And Grandma, being virtue of a, as an Aboriginal woman, was brought in to do no, some I think culture. half of Noosa are just people from Sydney and Melbourne on holidays. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was very, it was a different kind of environment. Um and then, so on, on my dad's side, so um, he's Dutch, so he came over after the war. So I've got that um, that lens on life as well. Yep. So that immigrant immigrant life post war, and and how yep. they sort of so essentially you're Indigenous Afrikaans. So, uh, <laughs> Got to make up a term for that. Um, I'd love to pin, and I'll come back a bit further. But you said Noosa. Yeah, right. I think so. When people think of Noosa today, which uh, means place a shady tree in cubby um back then like the houses were like shacks you know i don't even talking queenslanders you know you're talking single story beach houses sort of slapped together so mm-hmm. you have this beautiful outside environment with the channels mm-hmm. and then the beach there as well the surf beach uh but the living requirements and infrastructure to you know rail buses all that sort of stuff it was pretty much non-existent um which is very interesting yeah. Now it's you wouldn't recognize it. It's just like mm-hmm. another place. So I think people would they say all these old places, yeah, pensioners, oldies had their land, and then eventually they've sold up and you know passed mm-hmm. it down and moved on. Um, so it is. It's when you talk about those places, it does make me a little reminiscent, sad. It's like oh, it was their yeah. little pockets, you know, just tucked away behind between a rainforest and the beach. Mm-hmm. Now everyone knows about them. Exactly, brother. Um, it's yeah. Any reflection about Noosa, if you've lived there um, years ago, is obviously um, um, 
wistful. Um, we grew up in a, um, a breeze block house and, um, you know, like quite literally the wind and mosquitoes and everything could come through. Yeah. Um, and um, it was recently demolished, so it felt sort of quite sacrilegious to, to me, as you can imagine. But um, Yeah, it's slowly going. It's, hard, it's harder and harder to find those old sort of little blocks mm. tucked away. Mm. Um, so you've, this is the second, you're probably the third um, Indigenous person I've met that's come from South Australia to the Sunshine Coast. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's about, but <laughs> it's very interesting. What was the motivation for mum was and dad? Was it let's get into a different environment? You know, coming from grandma growing on the mission. I think mm-hmm. my my story is similar with my grandparents sort of moving, and then my parents as well took us up to Townsville, different mm-hmm. environment, and then brought us back down to country. Yeah. So there is a bit of like itchy foot there with mob where. Maybe they identify, let's get into a better situation and things might then turn better. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a good one, mate. I, I think um, in, in terms of Indigenous Australians, sometimes there's a little bit of like we're going to get out of here because of the story that is um, around us and um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to perpetrate um, our, our identity. I think yep. that was the case for my grandmother and mother where it's like, well, mission people, um, you know, your association to your culture is, has obviously been damaged. Um, yep. You're associated with the church more than anything, um, but then um, you're tarnished by by being um, a mission person. And I think mission life definitely deserves a, a closer lens, what, what, it, what it has done to people. Now, just a quick aside, my grandmother always said that the mission was good for her. Now, the reason she says yep. that is it's clearly a coping mechanism. It exposed her to God, right, which is yep. which is great. And that, and that's, that gave, gave me an association, a very strong association with her religious life. But, um, you know, she said it was good for her. But that was the, that was, that was the dialogue to want to move forward. And I think yep. people... People left um, those environments to to break out of um, an association with uh, Mission Life and being a Mission Black. Um, yeah. The other, yeah. The other thing is, um, my brother had um, health issues, and being down in that area, um, in you know, you're, you're facing down Antarctica, um, is on the other other end of that ocean. It's pretty raw, so um, he needed uh, some time to convalesce, and, and so hence we moved north. The warmer weather, yeah. The warmer weather, yeah. The warmer weather, yeah. yeah. That is um, strangely not that uncommon. People moving to fairer climates, or I hear a lot of people move from the south of New South Wales up to Queensland growing up, and they would say, mm-hmm. yeah, for the climate because it's it's consistent. People have joint mm-hmm. problems, um, breathing problems, skin problems. A lot of the humidity, salt air cures that stuff. You know, which is uh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that's sort of that ancient knowledge sort of just, you know, back then with no internet, you're like, oh, if I could just get up north, I'll, I think I'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah, it'll and clear up. Yeah, just get it in the sun and it'll clear up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like that with bloody everything. The um, <laughs> Grant's medical kit back in the day was um, it was obviously the pawpaw ointment, um, Bazistos, eucalyptus spray, which seemed to go on everything, and and uh, and some sunshine. So it was, oh, that's that was it. yeah. That, medical kit but it helped my brother uh, obviously with his eczema and asthma which he had both and, and yeah both. well yeah yeah i think mm. it, access to sun sunlight mild sunlight a lot as well clearer skies lots of vitamin d you know salt water get in the water yeah feed on the ground you know sort of thing um so you end up on a sunny coast and then what happens next for yourself so you obviously knew your indigenous heritage your dutch heritage um, predominantly, you know, sunny coast. It was very, it's very Anglo in the eighties and nineties. It's mm, uh, only really now becoming quite diverse and multicultural. Yep, it's an interesting one. Um, I always think in terms of um, when I moved back to Queensland, I took my kids down to the surf club at Kira because we moved to Coolangatta because we did live there for for a time. Uh, yeah, and um, and I I was feeling really panicky about going to the surf club. What was it about it? And it's a funny. Your mind is. Your mind is a computer. You might be a grown man yeah. and have a million experiences, but I realised being at the surf club, 
made me nervous. And that was because when I was growing up on the Sunshine Coast, the surf club was for white fellas. And my grandmother yep. made that real clear. Here's what we do as black fellas. We play league. And we might play Aussie rules. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, can go, we can go to the cinema. We can go to the pub. And we can go surfing. But the surf club is like the is like this is the high point of white felonists on the Sunshine Coast. We don't go there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of like uh, joining the Rotary or the Lions Club. You exactly. know, it's, sort of, it's not like there's a sign at the front, and it could have been. I don't know. I've never researched this, but <laughs> now I probably will go in a rabbit hole after this recording. Um, mm. But it was it was very clearly it was majority Anglo organization yeah. groups, you know, um, that came mm. out of different church groups or different political movements, mm. which mm. our mob in general were just were not included. Um, yeah. either out of any want to join the, the mm. groups or um, just the feeling of where would you even get started? You know, there's a whole different reasons why. Um, so, yeah, I thought it quite interesting. But then you look at groups that were successful in helping mob like the Salvation Army mm. um, were very big on integrating mob into into their organisation, uh, yeah. giving them positions, you know, um, responsibilities. So, yeah, it's very interesting. You just sort of have these... You attach these like uh, labels and cliches just from your grandparents or great grandparents. Hey, maybe just doing one throwaway comment, and then when you go to these events, you're just like, "Oh, it's a bit awkward," you know? Are they, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, it, it, it's funny that that programming, that program, stay away from the surf club, you know. And it's a bit like, and yeah. that programming, and like, you know, because you know, I'm at that age where I'm on that link between that really strong. Um, um, uh, you know, change of, you know, Aboriginal people, uh, you know, forced to live a certain way. Yeah. My, my generation, you know, we, we had that we had that very strong. So we, we, we're close to how they, they felt. So if it was like the yeah. white fella run the surf club, don't go there, well, you're right, Isaac. It might have been a throwaway comment, but she might have said it 17 times, in which case... Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> drilled in. It's factual, yeah. right? And yeah. so... Uh, my, so my journey from so living on the Sunshine Coast and, and like everyone wants to go back there now is a, as as you know but the back in the day you know it was sad if you didn't move out you know you, you'd be yeah. at the um, you'd be, be at the Noosa Villa or at the Reef when they were just proper pubs and like so and so's moved to Sydney so and so's got a job in Melbourne so and so's moved to Brisbane and it'd be like yeah. they're succeeding because they left. Yep. You know, and obviously now everyone in the Sunshine Coast, everyone wants to go live there now. Everyone wants to stay. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to leave. But if you were like at the reef on a Saturday night going, I'm doing the same thing time and time again, yeah. it's time to go. So what happened was I um, I was keen to join the cops uh, and um, it was hard to get into Queensland at the time, very bloody hard. Yeah. Uh, and it was like the wait list was incredible. So I just applied to every state and territory and I got accepted in Victoria, the NT. Yeah, well. And um, uh, Fedpol, yeah, and I was, and it was simply down to who's the first. When can I start? And Vicpol was like, you can start in nine days. Um, yeah, wow. So, and um, so I went down there. So one, the first and foremost was I did not identify as an Aboriginal person joining the police. I thought that yeah, was going to wow. be, yeah. So my grand said, yeah, don't um, don't do it. You know, just hide. You know, hide away. Um, so I went down to Victoria into the cops in um, so obviously from the Sunshine Coast to um, to St Kilda, so it was a bit of yeah, a, wow. a, a culture shock. The only thing I had in common with <laughs> a little bit of a culture, small <laughs> township yeah. in sunny coast to St Kilda. <laughs> the only thing I had in common with them was I had a kinship to Aussie Rules because I played um, for the t t Tigers as they were then um, in the yeah. June. So I sort of that was the only thing I had in common, but it was a hell culture shock to to join the cops and yeah, um, and the um and obviously the the racism that existed within the police and and their existing culture and it was pretty yeah. it was pretty murky to say the least. So what do you say when you sort of walk in? Did anyone say like, oh, what's your heritage? You know where you're from? Which was that question of because because you have quite olive skin and you're tall and got a big frame they're probably thinking oh he's probably you know just some big big white dude from 
Scandinavia or something. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's somewhere, you know. Oh, yeah, you could hide away. And I think it's in, it was, this is the journey I had into identifying um, in the tops was there was a lady called Jackie Marry, Jackie Marry, she's Queensland, and she um, was from Augustella, Augustella. So yeah. she was in charge of the Aboriginal Advisory Unit, which was like a sort of a bit of a clunky, you know, tacked on thing in the cops. Yeah. Yeah. But she was very, you know, um, she was real and she was committed to what they were doing. And um, yep. I, I was playing in a, an Aussie Rules carnival in an Indigenous team with um, some yep. boys from Rumbalara lads uh, yeah. from Shepherd. Yeah, the Rumba boys. And um, she came up to me and she, she said, um, I know who you are. What are you doing playing in this? And I said, oh, first name, uh, Aboriginal um, person. And, and she goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, I know you haven't ticked the box. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, you know, our representation in Big Pile is like half a percent of the workforce. Like yep. it was diabolical, Isaac. And she goes, we need people like you to represent. Yeah. And there was a really lovely white fella called Greg Chambers who worked in that unit too. And he was, you know, he's one of those white fellas who just got it. Yeah, just and he gets was like, it. Mate, yeah. for God's sake come across um, and yeah. um, and identify and then, you know, start working for mob. And I was like, yeah, great call, you know, and, yeah, then, yeah. you know, that vocational trigger to start helping mob kids kicks in. Yep. So we, yeah. so from that point I was, I, I became an Aboriginal um, liaison officer for the Southwest and, yep. um, and then sort of began that journey into, um, Connecting with mob, and there's a couple of a couple of interesting stories out of that. One was that you know I went and identified the traditional owner of the, this area, of part of Victoria, yep. that hadn't hence sort of been identified. And it was like, well, who are we going to do to, to do welcome the countries to openings and things like that? It was as a matter yep. of fact, it was a music festival. The guy reached out to me in desperation and said, well, we want to do a welcome the country. Who's who's um, who's around here? And it was yep. like. Yeah, there was Aboriginal people from all different parts of the country, but um, yeah. they were either too comfortable doing a welcome to country um, or yep. didn't want to do it, if that makes yep. sense. Yeah. So yeah. We, I spoke to um, one of my brothers uh, down there, John Clark, who works for Parks, who um, is related to Banjo Clark, and he's like yep. a he's like the Nelson Mandela of the southwest of Victoria. Yeah. And he and he say. <laughs> He stays in the background, but he said, oh, "I'm pretty sure it's this lady called Edna." I went around. Yep. Edna was Edna was the um, Avon lady. I said yep. Edna, "You're you're Gulagen, aren't you?" And she goes, "Yeah." And, she, and I said, "Well, you, you don't do anything with it. There's an opportunity for you." She goes, "Oh, I just like to hide in the background selling Avon." Yeah. I said, well, "You are actually <laughs> the traditional owner of this area." Yeah, and and and. To breathe life into her ownership and kinship and and, yeah. um, and leadership within to, to country there, that was something I felt was a real achievement just for yeah. me to see a, a proper cultural structure that helped that yeah. that woman. No, she made money. She got she you know she, you know there was deference to her towards her. She was a lovely lady. Yeah, um, and um, and she was the bloodline. I think that's um, very important because. I think people get upset with welcomes or acknowledgements and they say all manner of things about them. You know, blackfellas are trying to control everything. But you just gave mm. a good example of it's simply a remembrance mm. um, practice for us many of the times. Otherwise, many mob will just say, oh, I'm just going to hide in the background and then fizzle out and then they're forgotten. Mm. And so a lot, of, a big part of our community, especially Cubby as well, we've got dictionary and we we put, rewrite songs that we're bringing language back into. We're referring yeah. to areas, which a lot of areas around Sunshine Coast, Maruchi, Noosa, Caloundra, you know, mm. so stringing sentences, you know, really making an effort to keep that alive. And so yeah, yeah. welcomes acknowledgements, even though, you know, probably don't have to do them every time, but it's such an important thing, especially for events and that, not just for, uh, white Australians or non-Indigenous strands, but um, Indigenous strands as well, to remember that we have a place, you know, and we had a place and we mm. want to continue to keep those memories alive like you would any other ancient culture, you know, that people pay big money to go and tour for in foreign countries and lands, you know. So yeah. I think that's something that's really important 
and encourage mob as well who maybe are more introverted to you know have a go at doing a welcome you know acknowledgement mm. you can do it in your own way it doesn't have to be like you know dragged on like it's a <laughs> some sort of you know creed um so i've seen all different ones you know i've seen uncles tell just a footy story and then say yeah. welcome i hope you enjoy your day you know two minutes i've seen one sister do it in and do it in language i've seen people do it in a song i've seen people do it at the ditch and people doing a dance you know, it's all mm. um an enriching experience you know, wow that's cool or they tell a story about how that mountain was formed or this river was formed and mm. you know it's um yeah getting people to step up and get involved and having uh people from government sort of encourage that is is a really impactful for our for our mob i'm sure you'd have some other crazy stories though especially <laughs> especially if things are getting heat and you're like listen brother i'm a brother too yeah. <laughs> that that was hard it was it was probably because I worked in the country and that sort of thing. Um, and I've got to be honest, there was a guy, John Clark, who worked for Parks. I mentioned him before. He actually, um, he actually um, lit the way for me into into community, um, which was something you sort of can't quantify as as something that is so incredibly valuable. When someone says yep. he's mob, he's a good bloke. Look past the uniform because he's here to help. And that's yep. um, that's and so uh, uh, tracker made it um, made it um, good for me. And a quick story one time um, about tracker. One time there yep. was um, in the Otway Ranges there in Victoria. It's um, it's hectic. It and it and it, and it swallows white fellas. Um, those ridge lines they confuse people and they can get terribly lost. And the weather's pretty foul sometimes. Yeah, we're down there looking for some people doing a search, and they headed out. Couldn't find him, and um, Tracker came down with the parks guys just to help with the search and that. And I was, he's so laid back, and I said, "Tracker, I know you can track." And he yeah. goes, uh, "Yeah, what do you want? I'm not getting out in the rain." Yeah, I said, yeah. "I need you to just at least tell us where they went in, where 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 they went into the forest, and then we can focus because we had no idea." Yeah, and you okay. walked around the right. Well, you didn't mind being in the rain, to be fair. And he walked around for 40 minutes. He came back and he goes, Nick, they went in over there. Go that way. They're down that way. He goes, I, he goes, I reckon they're close. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and so we put our search into that. And they're only about four Ks in. We brought them out, you know, the next morning. And um, <clears throat> I put it on the police Incredible. report. Yeah. Yeah. I put it on the police report that goes, you know, that circulated throughout Victoria Police and goes to the media that I used a, you know, a First Nations tracker to help, and mate, even this day and age, that that just the phone calls I got about that, and people just like, <laughs> you know, is this real or you know what I mean? Oh, it's like <laughs> black tracker, but tourist tracker. <laughs> to start his own app. Yeah, police can use the app as soon as they get stuck in the bush or SES. Yeah, right. like, yep, all right, bang, we'll find our local yeah. tracker and we'll get him out here. <laughs> and he goes, I should have charged you lots of money. And he goes, and he's a funny bastard. He said something about um, remote viewing too. He goes, I'll do the remote viewing for you. <laughs> but um, but um, there was a, a fella, I like this yarn because um, there was a, a man who had, um, like he couldn't sneeze without going into prison. He had, um, he had so yep. many prior convictions. And he was one of those blokes, and we do it culturally, he used to, he used to own up. Yep crimes that he didn't even do and the justice yeah, system wow. the justice system just if you're going to play the justice system will help you and, yep. and he was just in and out of prison all the time and, and a nice guy uh to boot he had drug and alcohol issues but he he wanted to um part of his process of getting off drugs and alcohol and, and reconnecting yep. the culture was that he wanted to spend a night sleeping next to his grandmother's grave in um in, in graveyard yeah, and like he didn't know how to do it, and he'd done it unsuccessfully and been moved on, and you know, nearly uh, locked up for it and that sort of thing. And I said, "Look, right, I'll look into it." So I rang the state trustees in Victoria and said, "What's the process?" And I got the right person who said, "Yeah, what's unusual, but hence the circumstance. We'll give it a go." He goes, um, "What you have to do is you have to door knock everyone in that neighbourhood and get their um, get their permission because." Yep. One of the state trustees' problems is that if anyone goes in the graveyard at night time, it's, it's actually unlawful. So anyway, yep. I had to door knock. It was about 30 houses. 
And everyone was like, oh, so a man wants to come and sleep next to his grandmother's grave. Yeah, he's a black fella. Fine. Are you, are you going to keep yeah. an eye on it? Yep, no problems. And I got um, a quorum of agreement out of that. Took it back to the yep. state trustees. And, and this guy, um, we'll say his name's Matt, he got to sleep next to his grandmother's grave for the night. Um, and then his journey really improved in because uh, it was part yeah, of something. Wow. And and I was ever so pleased to be able to be a part of of, of that. Yeah. Um, to sort of understand his culture enough to go, that's crazy, it's not going to happen, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to sort of say, well, I understand, Matt, what you need to do is, is this. Um, and then the community, the non-Indigenous community was good enough to go, well, mate, if you're going to keep an eye on it, he's at, you know, we're, we're not going to freak yeah. out and ring up. So um, he, he funnily enough, I was doing the country town prosecuting one time and he came up to yep. me and he goes, he goes, Nick, can you represent me today? And I said, Matt, I'm the prosecutor. <laughs> he goes, yeah, legal aid, they don't get me. And I was like, he goes, you get me and you'll be able to say something to the magistrate for me. And I was like, oh, I'd love to, brother, but I, I, I literally cannot. I'm just going to read out what you've done. <laughs> oh, yeah. Put your uniform, take your uniform, run over to the other side. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, yeah, culturally, in any culture, I suppose, has grieving processes. I know sorry business take days, weeks in certain communities. Yeah. Um, even here in the metro areas, they have different practices that they like to uphold to have that closure. I think mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest struggles for Australian generals is depriving people of different cultural practice because it looks a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and that compounds into frustration, which leads to anger, which then leads to, um, you know, rebellion oh. in different ways and... and yeah openness to commit crime if you actually don't really respect the actual structure that's in place. Um, mm. Yeah, you can see that. Um, so a sense, you know, colonialism in a, yeah, emotional sense of, you know, sort of don't speak language or, you know, one thing we, we grew up with is like sort of suck it up, you know, you don't cry, mm. that sort of stuff, you know, so people mm. can't really process that. I think that's men in general, you know, you can't cry. <laughs> it's no. changed a lot now, which is great. Um, and your generation, I think your Gen X, so... You guys really came after the boomers and were just told, you know, you just go do your thing, you'll get a house and a lovely family and get a caravan mm-hmm. and retire and the Gold Coast just like us. But I think you guys probably followed that Aussie dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where we're millennials and, and the Gen Z's after us. I think we're realizing that a lot of those things are simply out of reach and there's going to have to be a lot of change. Um, so I think your generation, like you're just giving those examples, were the ones that are starting to go, oh, hang on, things aren't panned out as I thought they were, you know, that they did for mum and dad, you know, things are certainly not the same. And um, But then you're also bringing that, those small incremental changes. Um, so, so your police, the Vic Pole, now you work for a big IT company. Mm. How did you go from being a police officer to... Yeah, I think um, so. F- with within policing comes its own challenges. Uh, um, yeah. Person, I, I certainly don't think I have PTSD, but th- there are things that set me off a little bit. Um, yeah. But um, there was I had a um, uh, uniquely challenging relationship, I think, um, and I think it's fair to say, and. Um, I was keen to do everything I could to maintain that and the um, person's health. So we yep. decided to, um, you know, reach the point in, in VicPol where I felt like um, I, I wasn't growing. And it's funny to, to think that you always want to have yep. that personal growth anyway. I felt like um, that was the case. And the police force can make you very old uh, in your mind. And, yeah, okay. Um, so I um, we moved to Coolangatta where I'd spent some time as a child um, and I got a job with New South Wales Education over the border working in, in Lismore and um, the north, you know, northern rivers um, and yeah. um, working for the, the deputy ombudsman. So, you know, it was different. It wasn't, it wasn't an operational job and I didn't get the same thrills. A friend of mine um, out of the blue, um, a guy from Brisbane, Clint Adams, um, rang me up and said, do you want to um, work in New Guinea? And I said, oh, what's the job? And he was like, well, can, it, it's whatever you make it, um, but we're yeah. going to go and 
<laughs> so I worked up there um, in um, offshore immigration, um, and that, yeah. that has stories too, um, as you can imagine. And um, f- from there, I was there for close to six years. And um, the, the one, the important thing, I had a very so we broke up. You know, my marriage fell apart quite suddenly. Um, I didn't see my children for a period of time. I had um, all those horrible personal challenges that you sort of wouldn't wish yeah. on anyone. Um, and within that, and this is important, is that um, working in New Guinea, um, and I think it's relevant to say, showed me how to get closer to God. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I say that because by virtue of people in PNG are mission people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they can, quote, they can quote scripture, but they have kept, um, the, the people up there have kept their knowledge of scripture and how to, and how to apply that alive. Um, plus they're good, warm people. And they remind me of our living culture, if that makes yeah. sense, their connection to each other and, and to you. And people in New Guinea can see if you see inside them or you see their colour. And, of course, I don't yeah. see their colour. And so the, as a resource for me within a workplace and certainly personally, um, I could, you know, I owe them a debt of gratitude. Um, yeah. So from that, there was some remarkably dangerous situations that occurred um, and it was important that um, I stayed alive. So so I applied for, um, I worked at the city of Gold Coast around their security uh, for Commonwealth Games and then uh, a guy approached me and said, um, come and work in IT, you've got a natural sales ability um, and and also the governance risk compliance, which is associated with security, with um, cyber security. So I went into that. And, um, and that's why I'm an IT now, but it's been, um, I think I, I, the sales, no, 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 um, the sales ethos of, of what I'm doing now is, is probably something that I'm not great at because relationships to me need to be more than transactional. Um, yep. and that's, that's a mob thing. Um, and I would rather see us. Um, develop closer relationships rather than just sending per purchase orders and you know that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, which is not sure. You know, things take time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, sure Sorry, brother. Not sure if it's the no, end no, of my right. journey here at NTT, but it has been. It has been. It's given me the opportunity to meet you and Al and and some and some great folk. Yeah. Um, there's no there's no doubt about that. But po- policing and and having an association with your culture. Um, it comes at a cost, but it also gives you a great strength. Yeah. Um, and um, and that's what I'm always proud of. Like I think I, I operated within the police force. So there was times I had to hide just by virtue of self self um, yeah. protection. And there was times I was I was really really proud, um, but I was able to maintain my cultural connection throughout policing just by being um, a man of law. L O R yeah, yeah. Hey, help you. Um, did you sort of see a different perspective from the police side as well, and sort of the job they do? Did yeah, you bring it like a great understanding of sort of keeping the police, you know, making sure things don't break into utter chaos? Um, yeah. What are your thoughts now when you reflect? Yeah, to, to just, there's two things I'll mention. A guy called Uncle Lenny, who's um in a second uh, an interesting story about him but I think um when I reflect on the police now like when when you leave it's like it's a funny place to leave because it's like you, they're all a pack of pricks um I yeah. had a shit time um it was unsafe and no one helped me and the hard part yeah, was well. being station not and like and that that sort of those that thinking has softened over time because I think people in the cops um, certainly in Victoria, there was a lot of misfit people who became yeah. cops. And I'm not saying misfit in, in a sense of they were weird. You know, they had their careers hadn't developed or they were tradespeople or they'd come from the armed services. Yeah. Or, you know, so they're not, no one's bad. There, yeah. were some, there were some weirdos in my early time, there's no doubt about it. But it was funny because I used to sort of think those weirdos have come from the four-bedroom brick veneer in the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and, it, and it's and it's the misfits um, and a lot of immig- immig- um, you know new Australians join the cops too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think um, people like I certainly wanted to protect people, 
Um, yep. And I and I and particularly around domestic violence, when you see um, if there's people threatened and they threaten others, I wanted to threaten them. I yep. wanted to give them, and it sounds odd, but I wanted to give them the same level of fear and anxiety that they were causing. And I'm not sure whether that came from culture or my own yep. personal experiences, but I really wanted to bring a sense of you're not going to do this again, mate, um, because yep. you're scaring people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the police do the best they can. Look, the culture's changed down in Victoria. We saw that sort of yep. through COVID. My reflection was then it's not good what they're doing. Yeah. But um, for it's the funny, most part. You look at uh, from an outsider, I see like, you know, Bullerman, which our mob call policemen, you know, don't get involved with them. And then there's yeah. sort of this time of um, openness where police are embracing things. Liaison officers are popping up all over Logan, Brizzy, these areas that are quite dangerous uh, that you just grow up with. You know, you go to sleep hearing domestic violence and that sort of stuff. And then there's this period where, um, I don't know, there seems to be like a bit of a golden era where people are, there's a good relationship. You know, we had like touch carnivals or sporting carnivals and the police would always have their stand and come play footy and they'd enter a team and everyone was sort of getting along. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty sad that um, I think and then there's the underbelly time as well. So cops are doing a lot of heavy lifting, mm-hmm. sorting out some of the, the stuff that no one else really has to see or be involved mm-hmm. with. Um, and then I think COVID comes and I think that sort of takes them back a little bit with some of the things that were. And you felt I sort of felt sorry for a lot of people in those times because they obviously just have jobs and mortgages and families as well. And they're trying to find their personal convictions. And I think what you just said about, yeah, you come across these obscene situations where any normal mm. person would have an emotion, emotional response to mm. it. Um, but now I think, yeah, they're really dumbed down on sort of taking people with the rough rough edges, as you are saying, coming in. Mm. Uh, but then you see that some of those laws, I think that, that recent NT copper um, who shot the... Um, mm. young uh, Northern Territory uh, brother up there. Like mm. there's obviously flaws in his application now that have, mm. when you put enough pressure and enough stress tests, that is shown, you know, yeah. um, like you were just saying. So I, I could imagine, yeah, you, you're putting people in these situations day in, day out. It's only a matter of time till they develop PTSD or they just snap. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a, nat- a natural thing. I think <clears throat> one, one of the, one of my mates, so, and it's funny because I was always one of those guys of PTSD, is it real? Yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine, I was talking to him and he left the cops with PTSD and, and he was talking about being locked away in the Austin Hospital um, with PTSD in there with, you know, servicemen and, and, and yep. emergency services people. And he said, oh, my God. You know, I guess that could be me. That could have been me. Yeah. But I, um, you know, through by you know, connection to culture sometimes. I mean, I was very strongly connected to my culture down there. Like I'd go and um, I'd do smoking, I'd build, I'd, uh, I'd uh, make spears and uh, snap them to, to disconnect yeah. myself from, um, from situations, all sorts of just small cultural um, um, activities that helped me cope. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, I know you're strongly connected. One of the things I think about policing and Aboriginality was perfectly captured by um, one of the uncles down there. Um, he's a Kira Warong guy, a Gunichmara, um, Uncle Lenny. And um, what happened was that there was such a, a horrible sort of relationship with First Nations people in the cops in this area, southwest Victoria. But I put yep. together a, a forum, like a cultural awareness forum, and, of course, it was attended by the cops. Coffee in hand, they're, they're, you know, yep. they've got eight hours that day that But I listen to a, a black fella talk about his culture, and you know, um, you can imagine yeah. how some funny bastard in, and he's a good dude. And he goes, Being a black fella is much like being a cop, and you can imagine like you've got 40 people in a room just all of a sudden paying attention. <laughs> 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 and he goes, Being a black fella is just like being a cop, they only ring you when they want everyone hates you, and they only ring you when they want you. <laughs> and and that, that just was the most. 
biggest icebreaker you can imagine between first day <laughs> because he was bloody right. <laughs> that is it true. That's so, so funny. Yeah, yeah. Let <laughs> me ring you when yeah. they want. And I like he'd never said it before, and I was, and I just thought he has. I've really rehearsed it in the mirror, and then he's like, oh, "I just came." Yeah. I think the best lines are always one that just come, and you just yeah, you just throw it out there and see what happens. Yeah, no, it was absolutely perfect. But we we um we changed the relationship, um, uh, and to the point where um myself and a guy Leon Egan who's left the police force too, yeah, um, well we, we raised the Aboriginal flag over the Victoria Police Centre back in um you know two thousand and three the both of us, and um you know even the the importance of it was lost on me a little bit at the time because I think I was a bit nervous. But you can imagine um, how yep. Mob felt about that. Yeah. There was a lot of emotion there, um, brother. And um, I was always proud to do it with Leon because he'd shared the journey. Oh, as a very deadly yeah, yeah, he's deadly. And he'd shared the journey as a very strongly connected and very dark-skinned First Nations mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Um, so he's... His journey was different to mine, and uh, yeah, I was very, very um, honoured to be able to do that with you. Yeah, that's awesome, brother. That's so good to mm. hear that. All those touch points, I think, are going to be very insightful for our listeners. Um, so going forward, uh, you've sort of worked many jobs, and you sort of, sort of, I wouldn't say journeyman, but you've sort of journeyed along. Um, you know. What do you see sort of the future for? I know because I know you work a little bit in the Indigenous economy, which is, you know, Indigenous procurement policies and stuff, federal mm-hmm. government, state government contracts and, and defence contracts where Indigenous businesses and, and people are trying to get involved. But what's, mm-hmm. what's been your experience in this sector, you know, considering this only really started in 2016 with opportunities right. for Aboriginal people, business owners mm-hmm. to actually get into the government supply chains? Has it been something that's been pretty real or um, authentic or you think there's been a lot of sort of actors in the space, you know, let us know. Mm. And what's the future look like? Yeah. 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 It's a good question, Isaac, because um, my reflection, so my reflection into how First Nations procurement, ESG procurement to support First Nations people uh, is, is, um, you don't want to say the word corrupt, but yeah. it's the governance over it isn't in place to make sure that players are accountable for what they're saying. So yeah. in terms of um, businesses out there, like we can go on down the black clad conversation, probably don't need yeah. to. The, 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 the problem for me is that what, what I'm seeing uh, in some businesses and certainly not one ones that you're associated with in on the contrary obviously thank you um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the um the um there is a lot of businesses out there promising to support first nations people through employment um education and and making yep. and, and supporting foundations now what they're doing is saying that getting the business and then there's that's not happening and it's a massive risk to first nations people because one, um, the corporate and government world think they're helping when they're not. Um, and two, there's no governance over what uh, is being spent and um, people, are, people are making money yep. wearing, um, uh, wearing First Nations shirts around the streets of Brisbane City, Melbourne, and nothing's going back to mob. And it's, a, it's, a, yep. it's just, to me, it's just another bloody blow to our mob. Yeah. So that's happening and we need to acknowledge it. And I think that there'll be a tipping point eventually, but I think too many people are making money out of it at the moment and, and it makes me sad. And what I think, yeah. there's not there's not the governance and procurement leadership within corporate enterprise and government to say, you show us that your books, what are you actually doing? And when yeah. you're helping, does it have to be does it have to be a guy who's going to Brisbane grammar? You know, does he really yeah. need any now, brother, yeah, it, or has he got the leg up that he's got? How about we get some laptops to some mob who have no connectivity, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, see, people how, come from I think that story you just shared about coming from a place of trauma and, and not much opportunity to being moved into state and then yourself moving again to chase another opportunity. I think they're the success stories I hear, and people give feedback to me by the podcast or other indigenous 
people who listen um, and they leave their communities and go into the into the world or go to uni then jump and start a business or go into white collar yeah they're mm-hmm. they're the ones I want to see um, but I agree like it is a bit sad seeing the same people have six businesses which they don't really do anything in mm-hmm. and they're essentially run by a non-indigenous partner um, which mm-hmm. is fine if you're employing like heaps of mob and equity is mm-hmm. being built for community but the reality is like very little equity is going back to the community which yeah. is to address that original whole idea which is to close the gap you know exactly and and you're not fulfilling the governance um for the corporations so you know very you know we've got you know reputable corporations giving money away yeah. with the hope of actually supporting first nations people so i think um <clears throat> i think i think it's a I think it's a siding to to what can actually be done with um, Aboriginal yeah. procurement. I think, um, and I think that we um, need to keep pushing to get into positions of corporate leadership to influence down. I think that's where we need to go now. There's some very smart mob around Brisbane, as you know, um, yeah. Melbourne and, and Sydney, where where mob are getting into positions to um, to not disappear into the ether of um, yeah. yeah. The background, actually, yeah, <laughs> representing themselves on LinkedIn proudly, and then yeah. um, actually making decisions to support procurement, employment, yeah. and and, and um, not just going in and offering their cultural uh, guidance, you know, um, and it's seen as a, a, a nice to have. Actually, infusing businesses with First Nations thinking, which makes them more successful. Like, yeah, this this is the thing. Like Deloitte have done it as studies in it in Canada about First Nations thinking, where they've just gone, if if you embrace Indigenous thinking in terms yep. of how you treat people, the nature of relationships, it's very it's a very very successful pathway. Yeah, so, I think that's if you follow those. So if you jumped on like the LinkedIn or the Facebook. And people are wondering who's an actual indigenous business leader. I find mm. people who are um, promoted and celebrated by other indigenous people who have good reputations, they're yeah. people in the community who are actually having the impact. Whereas yeah. if someone's self-promoting and it's sort of a bit of an echo chamber or the government's <laughs> promoting them and the government doesn't have the optics like we do with the, the Kuri, Murray, yeah. Noongar, grapevine, we're like, oh, <laughs> brother, you know, that person, you know. Um, yeah. So I think for non-Indigenous people to vet who's actually got that um, reputation and community is looking at who follows them, who promotes them, who mm. engages with them, who they're mm. sort of bringing along with them for the journey. I think that's the way of self-regulating it because I think a lot of mob, are very rare, you know, 1% of us will actually jump on LinkedIn and go, hey, this brother over here is a flog, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> not many, there's not many. That will do no. it. You see it rarely and it just yeah, descends into it. chaos. But, yeah, you won't <laughs> see them do that. They'll just promote who they think is doing a, a deadly job and who isn't, they just won't. We'll just ignore it, you know, no, and hope like, it goes away. No, exactly. And I, I think um, here in Brisbane I've seen, um, I won't use people's names, but I've seen people sidelined by pushing their culture into workplaces. Um, yeah. Have been employed to do it, yet they've yep. been silenced while they're doing it. And there's some good people coming yep. to mind up here. And I, I, um, you know, my my journey from here is, you know, I, my aspiration is to be a corporate leader, um, whether it's yep. here or, or elsewhere. So just watch this space, and and within that, um, bring people around me um, who can help me on that cultural journey because yeah. the the success of businesses. You know, First Nations thinking is not is not remedial. It's on the contrary. It's it is it's at the forefront of corporate enterprise and government thinking. Um, you know, there's Adam yep. Robinson here at DAF, and you know, there's some young guns. Um, yeah, um, yeah, Robo, um, and we just need to. Um, it's time to keep pushing, and I think we're. I think, you know. The challenges that we've had always start yep. to fight. They, they don't yeah. extinguish, you know. Yeah, I think that's ultimately, and we'll finish on this, is um, culture. So work culture, our culture. Mm. You know, we hold things like family, not working yourself to death, you know, getting out in creation on country, relaxing mm. as 
priorities as opposed to garnering assets and equity and getting the house, you know, and investment properties. So I think that's one thing that we've mm-hmm. always wrestled and that's made evident when you clash us in a corporate setting where we're starting to bring our culture. They'll go, oh, we'll do the cultural awareness. Oh, that's great, great. But then as soon as that our culture starts pouring over into others and be like, ah, oh, brother, don't worry about it. Don't stress. I've got your back, you know, this really... Mm-hmm camaraderie starts to happen i think that's to any organization they don't want that disrupted especially if they've marketed around a transactional environment with kpis and box ticking um as old Andy said you haven't ticked you haven't ticked the box i saw you you know know you're a black fella i know you're a black fella i'm 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 sri lankan yeah i'm dutch you know uh awesome brother thanks so much for coming on um look forward to hearing how your journey unfolds wherever that takes you just um, just a, for you, um, brother, your connection to culture, your strength, you, your ethics, um, what you do for mob and uh, your, how articulate you are and um, you're, you're a credit to yourself and your mob, your, your parents and, um, and, you know, God bless you, mate. Thanks, brother. Oh, I wasn't going to stop you. You, you may continue. <laughs> <laughs> what about Al? Let's talk I'm about a positive Al. affirmations guy. I'm soaking the salt in. Like, here's, no, here's my fuel for the next month. You know, nah. Thanks, brother. Thanks so much for coming on the and sharing your story. <laughs> Hiding the beer behind the mic. Um, but yeah, stay, all the daily discussion, guys. I'd love to hear your feedback. Um, leave a, like a, a rating if you're on Apple, uh, Spotify. Make sure you, you like. But be looking forward to hearing any comments about potentially doing a longer form um, season after this season, which is season two. So season three might do longer form with video with some um, high caliber indigenous people, both national and international. And so I'd love yeah, anyone's thoughts on that, which would be great. So otherwise, thanks for coming on, bro. And uh, talk to everyone soon. Thank you, brother. See ya.